was paralyzed by fear when they heard a mighty multitude was quickly drawing near but as they prayed for deliverance the victory would begin is when you call upon the lord you summon all of heaven pray on for you are who the lord is looking for pray on let's just tear those mighty strong holes down stay on your knees for this is where the battle is won very soon you feel the victory pray When Daniel faced the lions for worshiping my Lord, it seems there was no hope at all for what would be in store. But when you stand on holy ground, your smallest prayer is heard. Instead of on our circumstance, mighty strongholds down stay on your knees for this is where the battle is won very soon you feel the victory pray on your prayers go and answer and your prayers may seem in vain they don't seem to make a difference they don't seem to make a change just rest assured god knows your needs and he hears each time you pray your prayers are reaching heaven and the answer's on the Thank you, John Yvette, and uh, praise God for dedications, right? Let us pray before we begin. 
Lord, we just lift our prayers up to heaven and we do pray on, Lord. And we're just thankful that you listen to your children. And you listen to those who actually even aren't your children when they cry out. Lord, save me. We hear that. And we lift up a special prayer for Sally tomorrow for that operation, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that your words would go out and, and do exactly what you intend them to do because they're your words. May your power be effective today, Lord, and a blessing. In your name we pray, amen. We are in a very, very interesting time, as all of us know. Very interesting time. And there is a lot of challenges that we have in this world today. This world is really going in an odd direction. But as Christians, the Bible actually predicts exactly what is happening. If we look around, we are just in awe of the devastation. I was reading about the Midwestern floods, and it's was amazing. It says something like five million acres of food were destroyed. And that's water coming down and just drenching and flooding. And isn't that odd? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we can just put some kind of pipe and pipe water up into the sky and actually put out the fires down in Big Sur? So we have too much water in the Midwest and not enough water here on the West Coast. You have 5,000 homes under evacuation at Big Sur, and I read a couple days ago, and I'm not sure where it is now, but it's 5% contained after weeks. It's a devastation, and that is where the world is right now. We talk about gas prices. We talk about lost homes, and all of that is happening, and trials are just part of life, aren't they? But they're coming at us really, really, really heavy these days. It's amazing how much weight and how much difficulty that there is. Today we're going to talk about trials, and we're going to talk about how trials affect different people. And trials do affect different people. There are the righteous that are affected by trials. And there's a purpose in it for the righteous, for trials. There's an actual purpose. There's also a purpose in the trials for those that are saved, but are backslidden. For the one, for the ones who are living righteously that are saved, the purpose is basically to draw us closer to Christ, make our testimony more effective, to make our lives shine brighter for our Savior so God can be glorified. And then, of course, for the unsaved, it is to bring us to repentance, to bring us to our knees, to bring us into a right relationship with the Lord. So there's a purpose in the trial. And then, of course, those who are not saved is to drive them to their knees and say, I repent. I can't do it. I've tried this, and it hasn't worked. It's to save them. It's to let them see that what they are intending to do is worthless and hopeless without Christ. He is the only one that can bring peace in the trial. And the title of this message is, Who Do You Worship? Who Do You Worship? 
And I was reading about trials, and it was an interesting story about a missionary who was assigned to a remote island in the Pacific. And after three months, he sent a fax to his, uh, his headquarters because he was having a problem. He was plagued by rats. And he said, what shall I do? Soon a crate arrived, and it was full of rat traps. And he laid them down, and not long after that, a month later, it says that he sent a second fax in. And he said, the rats won't take the bait. What shall I do? And not long, a second crate came, and it was filled with rat poison. However, hardly just after a month, the missionary found that it was necessary to send the third fax. And he said, the rats won't touch the poison. Do you have another suggestion? And soon after that, he received a fax from headquarters, not a crate. And it says, we suggest that you get used to the rats. And I challenge us today, I suggest that we get used to trials because they're not going away. They're actually accelerating. And today we're going to read a wonderful story about the greatest trial, one of the greatest trials in the Bible, and it's lovely in Daniel chapter 3. So let's go there, and I promise you we're going to move quickly because of the time. I promise you. It's one of the most beloved stories of man's faith and God's faithfulness and God's power. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. And I'm going to give you an overview of the passage because I'm not going to read it. Starting in verse 1, it really just kind of starts the story off where it, it talks about the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And he made an image that was 90 feet. And he made it so that people would bow down to it. So he went out to his officials, and he went to all of them, and he summoned his officials, and he said, come to a dedication. I'm going to dedicate today this idol, this big 90-foot gold thing. And he mentioned to them about the dedication, and then there was a herald who loudly proclaimed that there was a dedication. And it mentioned, the herald proclaimed that you're commanded to bow down to this thing and worship when you hear the sound of music. And it was different kind of music. A harp, a flute, a horn. They were all going to play in conjunction, and you were supposed to, when you heard the music, you were supposed to bow down. And then it happened. The music played. And they bowed down. But it says a certain group of astrologers, and they said Chaldeans as well, your Bible could say. They looked around. They said, wait a minute. There's some Jews, and they're not bowing down. And they told the king. And the king went to these Jews, and that's where we're going to start the story. And that's where we're going to go. And the first point that we're going to discuss, we're going to discuss different groups. 
we're going to discuss how the groups were affected by the fiery trial. And this first group was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, famous men of God. Now, in, previous, in the previous chapter, actually chapter 1, they were actually, it mentions that the king had ordered his officials to bring some of the Israelites. And they were different kind of men. They were from the royal family. They were young men without physical defect, handsome and showing great aptitude for learning. So that's who Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and as well, Daniel was part of that group. But in this story, Daniel is not pictured. So these three, along with Daniel, were carried into foreign soil. So this is the story of, of, of men who were taken from their land and put in a foreign land, worshiping foreign gods. That's what they were supposed to do, eating foreign food. And in chapter 1 of Daniel, it talks about the first trial that they had. It was a trial where they were supposed to eat the food of the king. And they said, no, we're going to eat vegetables. And they did. But there was a reason why they wouldn't eat the, the king's food. And I read a writer who said it was, it was tasty food, but yet it was contaminated food in the eyes of the Jews, for it was the first, the first portion of the food would have been offered to idols. And they said, I won't have any part of that. And then also, ceremonially unclean animals were used and therefore unsuitable for the Jews to eat. And they said, we won't have any of that. So their first trial in the book of Daniel is they chose not to defile themselves, and they said, we will not eat this food. And they were victorious because God gave them a blessing and gave them encouragement. And they were stronger than the men who were competing against them in the king's army and his palace. And they looked better and sound better and were stronger. And God blessed them. So now we're dealing with another trial. This is an incredible trial. The Lord just raised the stakes a little bit. Now... They're in a situation where they're supposed to bow down or die. The other situation, it didn't mention they would die, but they still were faithful, and that was good. But now it was taken to another level. He said, bow down or you're going into the furnace. So now we pick up the story in verse 15. Chapter 3, verse 15, where now... Nebuchadnezzar is really, really angry because he finds out about the fact that these men will not bow down. And he says, now, when you hear, and he's giving them a second chance. He's actually telling them, I got it. You're not bowing down. I'm angry, but I'll tell you what, I'll give you another chance. He said, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the burning, blazing furnace. Then what good will be able, or what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? He said, what God will be able to rescue from my hand? And this is the key verse here. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. 
If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. He will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. He said, we will not bow down to your gods. That was incredible. But I want you to know, we're not going to talk about their courage today. We're not going to talk about how handsome they were today and how educated they were today. And those are great points to bring up in another message. But this message, I want you to think about it. This is the first group that we're going to discuss today. The first group, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the question is, is who do you worship? They made it clear, didn't they? They said, we will not bow down to any other God except the God of Israel. We will not bow down, even if we have to go into the fiery trial and into the furnace. And they were taught well. They were taught well. One of the verses I read was in Kings where it says, when the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites, he commanded them, do not worship any other gods or bow down to them, serve them, or sacrifice to them. And they said, we got it. We believe this. We're not going to bow down. And we're going to fast forward. We're going to come back, but we're going to fast forward. Because I'm only talking about these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These, this group of men, how they responded to the trial. But the key is, who did they worship? So let's go down to verse 24. Because they were thrown in the fire. They're in the fire now. And they should be dead. No way should they be alive. But he leaped to his feet in verse 24 with amazement and said to his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they said, certainly, certainly there were. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High, come out and come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors gathered around them and they saw that the fire had not harmed them or their bodies nor was the hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Their God came to the rescue. First group, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Men of God. Men who put their faith in the true God. Men who were in a fiery trial and they learned something that was incredible, but they really trusted that God would come to the rescue, and he did. He rescued them. Can you imagine what it felt like that day? Can you look in their eyes and understand that they're in the fire, and there's a fourth person there walking with them? 
And they were looked at as fools. You know they were looked at as fools. Look at what they said to Christ when he was up on the cross. If you come down from the cross, we will believe. And believe me, they were mocked before they went into the fire. Look at these idiots. Why don't they just take off their jackets and say, let's bow down and go to our room somewhere and say, we didn't mean it. My fingers were crossed. They didn't do that. They could have. They're fools. That's what they were looked at. And sometimes we're looked at as fools because we believe in a God that we don't see. We believe in a power that we can't prove on paper. It can't be measured by any instruments of earth, but it can be measured by a life, can it? It can be seen in a life, can it? And that's what happened that day. They were given the glory. Nebuchadnezzar seeing that fourth person, though. And Spurgeon said something incredible. He said, they're fools. Yes, but the Son of God did not think so. I, God said, I don't think you're fools. Trusting me, you're not a fool. You're not a fool for trusting me. He said, when in heaven, when he in heaven heard them speak to the king, he said, brave, brave men, I will leave the throne of God and come down and stand by their side. And he came and stood by their side. And they walked. Is he walking with you today in the fire? Or don't we see him? He's walking with us in the fire. He said it was the greatest walk that they ever experienced. Christ walking beside them saying, it's okay. I heard you. I'm here. You put your trust in me. I've come down to rescue you. He left the throne of heaven to come down to save these men. Since they had won the admiration and sympathy, and sympathy of the Son of God who left heaven itself, that he might come and stand by their side with them. And that is what he does with this first group. Men and women of God who put their trust in the Savior, he says, I'm with you. I'm walking with you. Don't think that there's any fiery trial. And remember, it says that they, he raised the level of the fire seven times. It was a hot fire that day. We have hot fires? Yes, we do. But he's there walking with us. And sometimes we don't see him, do we? But he's there. And he wants us to encourage, be encouraged that I am there with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm your God. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death. I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. 
first group saved, rescued, faithful with a God that walks with us. Praise be to God for that group. But there's a second group. And we go back now to verse 19. And we'll talk about the second group. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them in the blazing furnace. The king, king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Second group. Strong soldiers. You never thought about that, did you? There was men that were strong, very capable. And they didn't even go into the fire and they died. Do you hear any mention about them being protected? Do you hear any mention about the Son of God walking with them? And don't think that he doesn't love them, but they were those who bowed down to the wrong God. They believed in an idol, a thing, and it did not rescue them. They died in their sins. And they just came up to the door of the trial. They didn't even go in to the fire. And that's what happens today to many people. Many people choose another God. Why should I believe the God of the Bible? Why should I believe in Christ? I can do it on my own. I don't need Christ. I believe in my job, my wealth, my riches, my education. My security is in these things. And believe me, this group, whoever this group is, and there's many in this group that have died in their sins, and then they will be going to the fiery trial then. They will be going to hell, not because of God's will, but because of their unwillingness to bow down to Jesus Christ, the king. They bowed down to a fraud, and they died in their sins, and they were strong. And there's many people who are strong in their beliefs, great riches maybe, great power, but they're dying in their sins. They're dying separated from Christ. They don't know him as Lord and Savior because they haven't bowed the knee. They haven't said, Lord, I will not bow down to these things anymore. I will only bow down to Jesus Christ. I will give my life to the King of kings and Lord of lords. I bow down to the Lord Jesus. And they died. And there are people today that are dying every day. Do you know how many people die every day? And some die in their sins and some don't. But many die in their sins. Why? Because they refuse to bow down to the king, to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's a sad group. Is there anybody in here in that group? I pray that you're not in that group today because you will die in your sins and then you will experience a separation from Christ and a death in a fiery trial that you've never even imagined. But it, again, it is not God's will. It is not his will that any would go and be lost. Any, any. And that's why we're going to go to the third group. And the third group are the bystanders. And it's interesting because this third group, they also decided to worship the wrong God. They did. They worshiped the false God. But they're alive. They're still living. They're not dead. And verse 24, let's go to that. We'll read that again where it says he... He leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men tied up? And they said, yes. And he said, look, I see four men, unbound and unharmed. Verse 26 says that he approached the opening and said, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and we read, that they saw no fire on them and that their heads weren't singed and their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. They did not smell of death or fire. And Adol read a verse on Wednesday and we talked about it and it was a blessing in 2 Corinthians where it said, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other we are the fragrance of life. They didn't smell any fire on them. They smelt Christ on them. That last group was the lost, living in sin, worshiping a false god, but they were alive, and they saw a miracle, and they saw some lives that were different. I want you to think about this. Do we show the glory of Christ in the trial? Do we smell like discouragement in the trial? Sadness, depression, anxiety, hopelessness? Is that what people smell when they smell us? Remember, this is from the first group. The first group were men who were dedicated to loving and serving their God, and they smelt like Christ. And it was effective on that third group. That third group was touched. Look at the king in verse 28. He said, praise be to God. What do you mean, king? You said bow down or die. Who are you? What happened? I saw Christ in these three men. And it touched my soul. I saw Christ walking with these men. And it touched my heart. I didn't see the discouragement and complaining. They smelt like something that was had a fragrance of God. And it touched my heart. We can touch hearts with our fragrance.
in the trial. There was a couple soldiers that went up and perished. But there was many more who saw the presence of Christ in these men. And they were touched where the king said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. The king said that. Not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Not Daniel on the side. Not other Christians who were there. They didn't say it. The king said it. The one who had the idol. The one who said, bow down to me. The one who says, I don't believe in a God who can save. You can't be saved, he told them. Not from this fiery ordeal that I'm putting you in. It is impossible for you to be saved. And then he saw the real God. And it changed his heart. He was changed. People's lives are changed because of us. But do we have the fragrance of Christ? Do we smell like God? Do they see God in us? Do they feel his presence? Do they sense his love? Do they see his compassion? Do they see his faithfulness? Do they see hope when they need hope? Do they see direction when they don't know which way to go? Or do they hear despair and hopelessness and complaining and grumbling in the trial? I hope you're convicted as I am with my response to the trial because they're watching. And Dean even mentioned it today. They're watching. Do we look different? Do we smell different? And this man, this king went on to say, and I can't even believe he went on further to say, therefore I decree that the people of this nation and language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be cut into pieces and their homes turned into piles of rubble. He said, kill them and burn their houses if they don't worship the God that I said isn't even real. That's how much. He's talking about about face. He turned all the way around. And he said, for no other God can save in this way. How in the heck could he say that? How can you say that? How can you say that? No other God can save in this way. Because he was touched by their faith in God's saving power. And it changed him. Do we have the aroma of Christ? I read, it says, in adversity, we usually want God to do a removing job when he wants to do an improving job. To realize the worth of the anchor, we need to fill the storm. And God brings men into deep waters not to drown them, but to cleanse them. He brings us into deep waters to cleanse us. I read a story that I know you saints know, you wonderful godly people here know, I know some have read it. But this is about a man who, having lost in a fire virtually everything he owned, the family made new plans, including a move to Chicago 
from Chicago to France. Planned a trip with his wife and four daughters to be trouble-free as possible. To transport them from America to France, he booked a passage on a huge ship and made sure that they had Christians on board in which they would have fellowship with. He's setting it up so it would be nice for his family. He planned to join them a few weeks later. In spite of much careful preparation, his plan suddenly dissolved when the ship carrying his loved ones was rammed by another vessel and sank, carrying his four beloved daughters and wife to the bottom. Anyone who has ever had their plans disrupted by the hand of God can understand his plight. His name was Spafford, Horatio Spafford. And he said, the story says the next time you're in church, turn to the words of the great hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. He says words he penned as his ship passed over the watery grave of his daughters. And it's in our hymnal. A song that encouraged probably millions of people. He lost four daughters that day. And he praised God. And he allowed the Lord to use him. And lives were affected. And remember, Nebuchadnezzar said, there's no other God that can save in this way. Do you understand that today? There's no other God that can save in the way of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other God. I read a statement that said, just as the sun melts wax and hardens clay, so Christ's message and his presence either softens or hardens our hearts depending on our attitude. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given but to men by which we must be saved. Is your heart softened today or hardened? If it's softened, praise God. These are his words, they're not my words. This is his story, not my story. This is a story that is so incredible. It's a story of three groups. One group loved the Lord and worshiped him. And they bowed the knee and they stayed faithful. And he took them out of the trial. And one of our memory verses says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. These men practiced that. They were at peace in the trial, in the furnace. And the second group were those who had the opportunity to bow the knee, and they, they didn't bow the knee. And they died. 
But this third group is the, the group that I'm concerned about. This third group is the group that says, that's been given another opportunity. They're still alive. This third group is the group that's walking around without Christ. And Christ is saying, there is no other God that can save you. There is no other God that can give you hope. There is no other God that can give you peace. There is no other way that you can get to heaven. There is no other way that you can get the peace in your trial. There is no other way that you can have salvation. There is no other way that you can have satisfaction. There is no other way you have the life that I intended you to have. There is no other way except my way. And I've given you Christians, faithful ones, to look at. Do you see them? Are you blessed to have one in your life? And are we blessed to be one? Do we take that on our shoulders? Is it important to us that we shine like Christ would want us to shine? That our fragrance is so aromic that it just, we smell of Christ. Believe me, if we do smell like Christ, people will be touched. Are you soft today? Please, I pray and beg that somebody has been softened by these words. Softened by the message that there's no other God. Softened that there's hope. That even though you might have been in that third group, that you don't have to be in that third group. You can be in the first group just by bowing the knee and saying, no, no, I don't want to put my faith in, in the idols. I don't want to put my faith in anything other than Christ. I hope that you hear the message that there is no other God. There is no other God who can save us except Jesus Christ. So can we pray? And Christians, isn't it beautiful how the Lord talks to us, how he says to us in Hebrews, for he himself has said, I will never desert you. I will never leave you nor will I ever forsake you, ever. He says, I'll never leave you. You can go into the fiery trial and I'll never leave you. I don't care how hot the fire is, I will never leave you. I'll be by your side. And he says, no matter what happens, I'll never forsake you. So don't worry, it's okay. I won't forsake you. Everybody might forsake you, but I will never forsake you. May we be blessed, and our lives be changed and sold out for our Savior and touch lives because Christ is with us. Let us pray. And then everybody, please bow your head and close your eyes. And, and I'm only going to say it one time as far as if there's anybody here, but I'm praying that there's somebody here who, who the words of Christ just softened your heart. And if there's anybody here that their hearts have been softened and they want to give their life to Christ and say, I want to be in that first group, just one chance, I'm just going to say it once, just put your hand up and I'll just pray that you want to give your heart to Christ. You've been softened. Lord, we pray that your word was not ineffective that your message had 
the power that you intended it to have and reached whom you intended it to reach. And I pray for those here today that are in that first group that are truly saved, Lord, that you would touch their lives and all of our lives and help us to be great examples of you and have the fragrance of Christ every day, no matter what the situation. And Lord, if there's anybody in that third group who just is kind of still clinging to the idol, something else in this world, Lord, that you would just not allow this word to leave them, that every time they wake up and go to sleep, this word would be in their heads and in their hearts and that you would bring them to their knees so that they would be in the first group of those who are destined for heaven. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for this life that you've given us, and we pray all this in your wonderful and holy name. Amen.